Hello. Mr. Dwayne Morgan, how are you? I'm excellent. Yourself? I'm Peachy Keen. All right, awesome. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to nice to be acquainted and looking forward to a little chit chat. Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Dwayne. I'm so thankful you're here with me. Happy to be here. Let's take a breath together. Breathe in through your nose and gently release. How's your heart doing? Um, as far as I know, it's doing well. So I, I, I hope that I'm accurate with that. What can you thank COVID for? Um, I think, um, I can definitely thank COVID for, um, a break. I think, um, you know, having, having done, um, my career, I mean, this is the 29th year of my career and I realized through COVID, there was a lot of stuff that I was doing on autopilot, um, and, that break allowed me to reassess the things that I wanted to do, reassess what things brought me joy, why I was doing certain things uh, so that now I can be more um, intentional with the things that I'm doing. Nice. 29 years. That's a long haul. It's been a journey. It's been a great one. So in this, you know, pause or slowing down, what did you discover about yourself? Let's see. I think the, um, there was a realization of how much um, I give to to people, community, to the world, which I would never change, but at the same time had to create uh, balance to make sure that I was giving to myself as well. Um, you know, so in that time, you know, for years I'd wanted to learn how to play the guitar. I said, okay, well, now is the time. Just let's start trying to, you know, figure this out because it was something that I always, you know, wanted to do. Um, you know, didn't grow up with pets, so I got a puppy. Um, you know, just the things that that uh I always felt would bring me joy, but I could never find the time because I was so busy in this rat race of doing all of these things that I really um, took the time to prioritize myself and 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 my joy and what was going to bring me peace uh, and I and I feel like the work that I do with other people um, is better um, now that I'm you know prioritizing myself a lot more. Yeah, it can be difficult when we're always giving to actually receive from ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and put ourselves first because mm-hmm. we're. Um, I think there's a little bit of an indoctrination that we're supposed to serve everybody else and as if we're a nobody and right. it's to remember to include ourselves in that other people mm-hmm. and that we have somebody. Um, and it, it takes work to do that, especially in the field that you're in, in the arts and entertainment. I was looking, I'm like, you you're into photography, you're into writing poetry, you're into creating events, you're right into doing writing sessions with people. So you're in all the facets of art and entertainment mm-hmm. and really gathering, um, you know, different people. What brought you into that? 
Um, I mean, it was interesting. I think, you know, life just kind of um, brought me there. I mean, you know, I don't believe in in accidents and coincidences. So, you know, when I was in high school, I was uh, in charge or the president of our Black students group, and there weren't a lot of Black students in my high school. And I, I was putting on a talent show to to raise some funds for some stuff that we wanted to do. And I realized that I had a lot of friends who had talent. They were rappers, singers, dancers. And I realized that I had no talent, uh, I guess, other than being able to organize this. So I realized that all the people who were coming were going to you know, put my friends in the spotlight and they were going to be the cool people. And I wanted to figure out, well, how do I get to be cool, too? So having no talent, I figured the easiest thing to do is to write a poem. Uh, so I wrote a poem and then that poem as I say, you know, changed my life. It was the starting of something. And prior to that, I had never written poems. I didn't, you know, have a journal. I didn't write and I I just didn't write. This was like the first thing that I was writing. And it was just to be on stage with my friends. And after um, that event, people just kept on wanting to hear my stories and the poems that I, that I wrote uh, I realized I had great organizational skills. So while I was still in high school, I, I started my business uh, putting on talent shows. And um, that's really how it all started. Now, you mentioned that with the slowing down of the pandemic and that you had to, you know, support the joy within yourself. And rather than going outwardly and giving it to other people, you had to support it within yourself. So what does self-care look like for Dwayne? Um, you know, spending time with, um, with my daughter is, is a big part of that. Um, and pretty much for most of her life, her and I have had like a a daddy daughter date every Friday. Um, and she kind of just chooses what she wants to do or where she wants to eat or whatever. And, and we go and we do that. Now it's, you know, now she's a teenager and now I have to battle, you know, with her friends for time and stuff like that. So I got to put my foot down every now and then, um, you know, to to try and maintain that. Oddly enough, my phone just went off. That was her texting me. Um, so, you know, a big part of it is, uh, you know, spending time with her, uh, as I mentioned before, um, playing the guitar and, and, and being awful at something. And I, you know, I tell people, you know, all the time that, um, you know, on this journey with the guitar, you know, when I've been, I've been doing the photography and the poetry and stuff for such a long time. And I've, I've gotten extremely good at that stuff that it's great to find something that you suck at. It's, it's a, a humbling experience. It reminds you of where you started, where you came from, the need to practice, learn, become, you know, have compassion for yourself and all these kinds of things. So I think, you know, that journey of trying to to learn an instrument at my age is, has been, uh, you know, a great uh, joy, but also very frustrating, you know, as well. And, um, you know, just, just really taking the time to, you know, to, to live and just be present is, has been uh, a great source of, of joy and not, you know, go, 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 go all the time, but really just kind of, um, you know, laying back and, and relaxing a little bit and, and just having, you know, me time, even if it's to do absolutely nothing. Yeah. Just to be. 
Yep. Just to be is something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We think it's nothing. And it, it takes a lot of strength to just be and not be thinking that you have to do and have to accumulate or, or achieve or be like just to be and be in stillness. Can I know I teach meditation to people and stillness can be very aversive for people and it can, and it can signal a threat for people. And what they don't understand sometimes is that in childhood, when you were in stillness, you could have been harmed. So coming back into that space, there's a signal in the body and it feels very uncomfortable. So it's not in your head that I I don't know how to do this. It's because there's an actual trauma response when you come back into that stillness. And that's the work to reprogram your nervous system to signal yourself that you're safe here. Even though you've been harmed before, you're okay to be in this stillness. I've seen some of the the clips that you've put on IG, and one that piqued my interest was about the Minister of Education mm. and our wonderful education system here in Ontario. What do you think the education needs? Um, well, it, it needs a complete overhaul, uh, first of all, which, you know, is not likely to happen. But in order for it to be a s- successful system, it has to be completely overhauled. The educational system that we currently use was created so long ago and was created um, for a specific community of of people that it is so irrelevant to many of today's uh, people that is so contrary to how uh, many different cultures learn and take in information. Um, <coughs> the the Eurocentric nature of it puts the emphasis on I and personal achievement, whereas, you know, the people who do the worst in the current system are Indigenous kids and Black kids uh, who both come from communities that are focused on why not on I. They are communal communities. So, you know, people will see, you know, them failing out of school or being pushed out of school and think that, well, they're not smart or they can't do the work. And it's no, it's the the culture of school uh, goes completely against how they exist and how they see the world and how they experience life. So, you know, there has to be, you know, some kind of reconfiguring of the system to um, recognize that there are different ways of learning, different cultural practices that impact how we engage with school and how we engage with different systems and not just uh, this uh, antiquated uh, Eurocentric way of, of teaching. What are programs that would benefit kids from a young age that you th- that needs to be introduced into the curriculum? Well, I mean, anytime there there are budget cuts, the first thing that gets cut are the arts. Kids from indigenous communities, black communities love the arts, thrive on the arts. Um, You know, you can teach them anything through art um, and they'll get it. So, you know, when you cut the arts, it is actually uh, you're directly, you know, cutting the the a pathway to success for many students. Um, I know with the Toronto School Board, you know, they came out with the the Afrocentric school, and I believe there's an Indigenous one. And and the students who are going to those schools 
are faring way better than the school, the students who are just in the general regular, you know, schools. So clearly there is a, a case to be made about, um, you know, how things need to change in order to uh, have greater success for more young people who are going through um, the educational system. There's times where I have brain fog, where there's low energy, I don't want to do anything, I'm not motivated. And let me tell you, I had no idea what I needed until I tried Magic Mind. So I was a bit skeptic trying this Magic Mind, not thinking it was really going to do anything. (laughs) Let me tell you, I was so wrong. Now, the reason I was skeptic is because it's all natural ingredients, such as ceremonial grade matcha, lion's mane mushroom, turmeric cumin. And you know what? I had no idea that it would lift my energy, drive focus and boost my mood. What I had is procrastination before wasn't there. The brain fog was lifted. And, you know, I tried it in several different ways. I did it before a podcast. Another day I did it before having to coach a client. Another day I did it when I had to do physical activities with the twins. And each time there was clarity and energy. It was fantastic. Sharing is caring. And for you, the listener, I'm able to offer you a discount code. Yeah. For the next 10 days, you are able to get 40% off your subscription. Go to the link www.magicmind.co forward slash lift and use my discount code lift20. You don't know until you try it. And let me tell you, I've tried it and I am a subscriber now. Don't wait. Right now, what I'm seeing and the conversations that I'm having with men, uh, men of color, uh, Caribbean, African, Afro-Canadian is there is a heavy topic of suicide and there's a lot of pressure on men that, and they're not, I don't believe that there's enough spaces for them to speak openly about it. What do you think would help provide spaces for men to be with their vulnerability and to be open to talk about the pressures that society, culture, even themselves have put on themselves that is starting to impact their mental well-being? Um, well, I mean, I think overall, <clears throat> I mean, it's such a, that's such a loaded uh, it is. question, you know, because there are so many um, intersections at play when it comes to uh, men and, and mental health and, and suicide and, and these sorts of things. Um, the first thing is that, you know, we're living in a time now where, probably more than ever before no one knows what the definition of manhood is there there was a time where there was a definition this is a clear line this is manly manhood blah 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 and those lines have been so blurred right now that men are kind of just like out to sea and have no clue what is expected of them who they're supposed to be how they're supposed to be where they fit in, you know, to anything. And, and, and that uh, feeling of not knowing or not belonging creates uh, uh, an insecurity in oneself because you have no idea how am I supposed to be here? How am I supposed to, you know, 
function here? How am I supposed to treat people? Am I supposed to do this? Am I not supposed to do this? And so you end up with more questions than answers. Uh, layer on top of that, uh, you know, race and racism and and what that does to the psyche of a person and, and the effect that that has on one's physical and, and mental health. Uh, then, you know, we have to look at these notions of, um, you know, manhood and success and these kinds of things that uh, might be, you know, cultural or might just be very capitalistic in terms of the society that we're in now. And you just create a situation where nobody has any clue what's going on. Everything feels absolutely overwhelming. There's nowhere um, for you to turn to speak about this because, A, the other men are trying to figure it out too. And, you know, B, we don't live in a society where there's any kind of safety in terms of being vulnerable as a man. The minute you become vulnerable, you almost eject yourself out of the manhood category because, well, no, that's not, that's one thing we've got almost held on to. Well, no, that's, that's not manly, you know, to be vulnerable and to open up and to, and to cry and to let people in and to ask for help and to say that I'm not okay and these sorts of things. So, um, you know, and then couple that with as much as men are struggling with that, there are also, you know, women who don't support um, vulnerable men. And if a man shows vulnerability, he becomes a joke. He becomes, you know, something to, to message their friends about and to laugh at and to all of these things. And it's so hard for a man to open up that if he does, and that does not go well, you may have sealed that vault forever because it'll be so hard for him to trust to open up to somebody else again um, after he took a risk and then that risk went absolutely nowhere. So, I mean, it's such a, a, a layered, big, nuanced um, topic and conversation that um, has to be peeled away, you know, layer by layer, like an, like an onion and just kind of trying to discover all of these different nuances because there's no one quick fix to something that is uh, such a big uh, problematic issue in our society today. And the reason why I'm having these conversations, because like you said, you know, we all have our part in it. And as a woman, and I have three sons, I want to do my part to see and dismantle some of these boxes that men have been put into like the notion of boys don't cry it has infuriated me to hear that sentence and dismissing them to that they're not allowed to be human they're not allowed to be sensitive and to change that narrative of the aggression and violence and that's what makes you a man and not being able to be in touch with your own humanity and, I, you know, when you were talking about the females, it, it brought tears to my eyes because I can feel where a person will feel isolated and not even be able to reveal where there's pain mm. because of the judgments and the perceptions of other people and the ridicule. Nobody wants to be ridiculed. Mm. And especially with the man's um, manhood. It's a very sacred, sensitive place to be in. Yet I think 
what is needed uh, and what I am doing to remove these stigmas is to engage in conversations and that we now take accountability that we need to create these spaces where people are feeling safe and that we as women, I can speak as a woman, not all women yet for myself, that I want to honor and help to create these spaces so men can start doing their own work and being able to feel safe with it so that we can change the narrative in these definitions that have been placed on men. Because a woman also has to see their part in it. And Mm -hmm. I know some may not want to see that yet. We're not, you know, this, this idea that we're supposed to be against each other. And it's like, we both need each other, like female and males need each other to procreate and, you know, allow humanity to continue on. Yet, if we always see each other as an attack, we're not able to unify and build together. So it's always, for me, I I see history that the pendulum keeps going one-sided or another, where it's like, where are both sides coming together and being the core, not flipping it all the time to see which side is going to be chosen. It's actually like embracing the coin. And I think this topic, you know, a lot of people may not be speaking about it, yet it's going to be needed. And to think that we always can go do therapy or not everybody can afford therapy. Not everybody can afford to go see a psychologist or um, go see coaches or whatnot. Yet we as a society can start building these conversations and Mm -hmm. being able to listen and witness other people's pain. And I know it it takes strength to do that. It takes courage to do that. Yet if we want to strengthen our communities, our villages, this is going to be needed. It's going to be a necessity and to remove this taboo um, and the pressures that we're putting on men. Because for me, some of it is ridiculous. I get very angry with it. And I just want to say a few very bad words to people and and say, are you like insane? Like, why would you? Yeah. Thank you for, you know, giving your part and sharing what your, your perspectives and really opening that part about women. Cause women have to see, we have to see our part in that too, of the ridicule. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other part too, just, just on the, the whole idea of, uh, you know, the women is that, even in the black community, there are so many women led households that women are playing a huge part in the socialization of how young men see themselves, how, what, you know, this idea of, you know, vulnerability and different things. If there's no man in the home, where do these ideas come from? You're spending maybe 18 years of your life in a home with a woman. So she has a responsibility in terms of shaping a lot of who you are um, and the man that you are going to become. So, you know, it's not just about the piece about, you know, ridiculing a man that opens up, but it's also the fact that you might be raising men. And who are the men that you are raising? What kind of men uh, are you raising? And, And are you raising, you know, men in a way to, you know, retaliate against things that happened with their father or different things or whatever. Like there's, again, so many nuances 
that impact, you know, how we treat young boys in the home. And these young boys go out into the world as young men and manifest many of the things that we're talking about. Uh Oh, did I lose you? I love Rogers. I just, they're <laughs> actually having to put a new line for me because my internet is crap right now. Mm-hmm. I really apologize about that. No, it's okay. It's okay. Technology. Um, okay. I know I got a bit of it. I don't know if you can rewind that part about, because yeah. it is a very important one. About- yeah. So, and, and you probably have it in the, in the recording as well, but I will uh, repeat and say that it's not just about, um, you know, women's interactions with men who are vulnerable with them, but it's also the fact that women are raising young boys and are teaching them about how they're supposed to be men. So are the women who are raising these boys teaching them that it's okay to be vulnerable, that it's okay to cry, that, you know, all of these kinds of things, or are they teaching them, you know, these, um, old ways of, of thinking that are more damaging to uh, young men in today's society than they would have been, you know, generations ago. I would even bring it one step further is that possibly some women are projecting their anger and fear on the children. And so then that shapes how a child identifies and then they project. I just came back from Jamaica. I was in Negril and this one man was we were just dialoguing and the twins couldn't understand like the hostility and the language of the people. Cause you know, when you're there, it can be very, everybody's yelling at each other. Everybody's bad mouthing, but everybody's getting along in this kind of language, but it feels like they're going to start fighting at any minute. Mm-hmm. And the twins are like, we don't understand. And I was explaining this to this man and he's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's just how the culture is here. Yet I, it, yet they have a lot of them are led by women. The households are led by women and they're very aggressive, the women. And he's like, and by just saying this now, I'm kind of seeing that possibly these men are aggressive because they need to have an outlet because they've been in a household led with aggression. Mm-hmm. And so at times the women will we have to see that part as a mother uh, and if it's a, a single parent home of being responsible for our own anger and our own fear and what is being projected on that child. And that is a lot of work as an individual to no longer, you know, put that on and be accountable for what there is and be accountable for that aggression Um, because it, it does shape a person and then, you know, boys get the definition that, well, this is how I have to be because this is how I was treated unless they have, um, you know, the awareness to break out of that cycle. But uh, you you brought a good point of, you know, establishing the definition of that. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, it, again, it, it's so layered and stuff, right? Because, again, then we also have to look at, well, then how are we raising girls? Are we raising girls to recognize that everyone should be vulnerable? Everyone should cry. 
Um, or is it still, no, this, this is the girl's domain. Girls do this. We, you know, we often grow up, if, if it's a single mother household, you know, there's always this narrative of, you know, be a strong woman. You don't need a man for anything. You know, I, I've done it. I've raised you this and that or whatever. And you're, we don't even realize the damage that's being done to these young women because, when you get older, how do you create space in your life for a partner if you've grown up hearing, I don't need, I don't need, I don't need, we do need. But it's not a matter of being dependent. We don't know how to be interdependent. We don't know how to create space for someone else to come in and be a part of our lives that allows us then to blossom and bloom in a way that we would never be able to to on our own. So as long as we have this narrative of, I don't need a man, I don't need this, I can do it on my own, I'm a strong woman. Yeah, you're going to be a strong woman by yourself, creating this cycle over and over again. And when relationships don't work out, then you get this bitterness, that bitterness then feeds into how you raise your children. And we never get out of this conundrum that we find ourselves in. Thank you. I have been saying this for the past couple of days with people. I'm like, this thing of independence is bullshit. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in this world, even in your own body, there is nothing that does not rely on something else to grow. Mm -hmm. So the ideology of independence and trying to be an independent person, it's hogwash. You you need another person, partner, Mm -hmm. to be there to help you grow. Sure, there is autonomy to do things on your own and not be codependent on people, yet there is interdependence. And I'm thankful you use that word because you don't hear it much. Mm-hmm. You only hear dependence or independence, not interdependence. And that's yeah. what we're looking for. We're looking for connection. We're not looking for attachment. We're looking for connection and, and where we can thrive and grow together, not awesome weigh each other down and not criticize and fly each other. It's amplifying and encouraging and keeping ourselves accountable that you can be your best. But yet the language is, yes, I don't need this. I don't need that. Where it's like, well, what's on the other side of that, that you're not being vulnerable that, oh, I've been hurt and I don't know how to open up. Mm -hmm. I've been, I I don't know how to choose partners because I don't even know what I need for myself. I don't even understand what my own standards are. So I've chosen people that have harmed me because I didn't realize I was taking scraps or I didn't know how to hold boundaries towards people. Yet this I don't or the I don't care. I'm like, what's on the other side of that that you don't want to reveal to other people? And it's... I was just going to say that, you know, we have this uh, a long list of all the things we don't need, but ask people what they do need and they have no idea. They just know all the stuff that they don't need. But what do you need? And and it's just a blank stare at that point. Yeah. How are you supporting it? Because everything that you're saying you're not wanting, you're giving that attention. But the things that you actually need, you're not giving it any attention and it, it can't grow. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's not being, you have to, to appreciate something will appreciate. So if you're not appreciating your own needs, you're not going to grow in, in the way. And yeah, uh, that's the first thing when I ask people too, with the self-care, it's like, what are your needs? And people are a blank stare. Like mm-hmm. 
I've never even known I had needs. And it's like, of course you do. You're a human being. Like, of course you're supposed to have needs. It's fascinating when we can finally ask ourselves the questions inwardly, not be on the outside trying to go in. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's a lot of accountability of having some conversations of our language and how our structures are and everything else. And no way am I thinking that this is an easy fix and let's get it done. It's that these are conversations that now are having to be had amongst each other not waiting for institutes and systems to lead and say, well, we're going to do this program. It's like one-on-one opening up these dialogues so that we can go into places and other dimensions and start creating our own definition of things and Mm -hmm. structures and interactions with each other. Yeah, no, totally agree with you. I'm going to bring you into a reflective question. Okay. I'm going to ask you to take your awareness right now and bring it to your 18-year-old self. And you're only allowed to tell yourself three things. And those are only three words you can use. What would those three words be? I would say just believe in yourself. I think that would be that would be the most beneficial um, advice I could have given to myself back then. Why? Um, I don't know. I think I, you know, grew up with this. Um, you grew up in this idea with, you know, parents who came from a different place and they have these big dreams and ideas of, you know, who their children are going to be in the world. And, you know, even I think at 18, I started my, my business but even then doing that, you know, still didn't feel, you know, proud of myself, still didn't feel confident in uh, the decision that I had made. So I think there was always an expectation that I was supposed to be someone that I wasn't. So, you know, believing in myself really is, you know, just the idea of, be you, be confident in, in who you are. And, you know, you don't have to change for anybody. You don't have to be what other people want or think or expect you to be just be you. Where can the listeners find you? I mean, the easiest way, depending on what you want to find is uh, just putting my name in Google, Dwayne Morgan. Uh, I am on, you know, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, whatever, I'm uh, I'm out there. So uh, depending on what it is that you're looking for and what you're trying to find of mine, um, yeah, I'm easy to find. Okay. And is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? Yeah, believe in yourself. I like that. I like that. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, even with the technical glitches that we've had. And thank you for everything that you're offering into the world. And, you know, believing in yourself in these 29 years and still continuing on and offering, you know, the gift of curiosity with the arts and showing people what is possible with Mm -hmm. endurance and, you know, being committed and being consistent with things. So thank you for everything that you bring into the world, Dwayne. I really appreciate it. It is definitely a pleasure. And thank you for this platform and the conversation. Remember to be kind with yourself. Absolutely. Yeah.
Hey, you made it all the way to the end. Thank you for your time. It's greatly appreciated. If you found any value in this conversation, please share it out with a friend. Help us grow the dialogue. Let us create the safe spaces of healing. You can find more information at www.liftoneself.com. Until next time, be kind with yourself.